0: Whatever you're selling,
1: I have it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hi. Good
0: to see you. Hi. How, are you?
1: How are you? Good. Hi. Thanks for bringing us back. Yeah. You. To come back.
2: Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast: Headlines and Stories from the Land of Enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhardt.
1: We're not in the KRQE studios for this conversation. Once again, for one of those rare moments here this week, Gabby and I are sitting in the living room with someone you may recall from an episode that we recorded last year. Last time we were here, we were surrounded by boxes and suitcases that were loaded up and ready to be delivered to Ukraine.
2: Yeah, so to set the scene a little more, we're back in Diana Horak's living room. She's a Ukrainian-born Albuquerque mother of two who's made several humanitarian trips back to Ukraine to deliver goods, medical supplies, equipment for Ukrainian soldiers and families, you name it. We thought it was only fitting to catch up with Diana once again as we recently hit the one year mark of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, because a lot has happened since then. But Diana, thanks for having us back in your home and chatting with us.
0: Thank you guys for uh, coming over. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you also for keeping the interest and keeping the spotlight on that. I I really appreciate your position and your support.
1: You're welcome. We are glad to have your perspective because um, I think as we know, You hear the national news and sometimes it is a little bit hard to picture the impact of those types of stories. And and hearing from people who have real perspective is, is important. We appreciate you. Thank you, welcoming us to do that. And
2: I know, you know, we chatted a little bit before we turned on the mics. You have a lot tied into this. So it's really, I think, helpful to hear from someone like you who has so much more perspective than Chris or I. So we'll get into what's happened over the last year. But first, I just wanted to ask you, how are you feeling today about the state of affairs in your home country and the continued war going on? Because I know You still have family and friends there that you've remained in close contact with.
0: That's right, Gabby. And um, I'm not sure how to describe exactly what I'm feeling. It's a very mixed bag of emotions. Um, I'm feeling proud. I think that's the first thing that pops into my head because the resolve and the perseverance of the Ukrainian people um, that has been on display is unprecedented. We have achieved a true identity and understanding who we are as a nation, as a country, as a people. I have never seen unity like this happening before. Russia said they were going to take over Ukraine in about three, four days. It's been a year and the fact uh, that David continues to fight Goliath is miraculous to say the least. I feel devastated because when you try to tap in the understanding of what kind of loss of life Destruction, what has happened to my country over the past year, it brings so much pain. It brings hurt. And you don't really understand how it hurts until you feel it. And the first time in my life as a Ukrainian, I got to feel what it's like. I'm angry because um, despite all the politics and all the excuses that Russia makes about the special operation or the liberation. Their mission remains to obliterate Ukraine. And as you know, it is not their first attempt to do so. Neither it is their last one. But this time, again, they're doing it through hurting civilians. So, Mm -hmm. again, it's anger, it's pain, all of that. Yeah.
1: We know last March that... In essentially the first weeks of Russia's invasion, you helped your elderly mother evacuate and come to the United States. You shared that journey with us here in this living room on the podcast in part. And and most recently, though, you helped your mom return home to Ukraine, as we understand, after she had been here for some time. Some people may be surprised to hear that. if you can tell us, what was it like having your mom here and what was that decision like to move her back
0: well, I was very surprised myself when it actually came to that because we brought her here with an understanding that if necessary, she we were prepared to have her here to live the rest of her days. But what happened is that everybody has a hope to return home wherever their heart is, wherever their home is. What happened with her specifically, we had some extenuating circumstances before we brought her because in 2014, or just a little bit before Russia invaded the eastern part of Ukraine, Donbass area, she made friends with a gentleman from Donbas, and they were, you know, just friends. But when his home began being bombed, she told him, get out of there, come live with me in Kiev, you know, so what not. So he moved, and they have pretty much been together for... A really good amount of time. He was able to go to Donbas a couple of times, but the last time he was barely able to get out and make it back to Kiev. So we couldn't bring him here. Some of his documents remain in the occupied territory. Some are in U- uh, some are in Kiev. He did not have an American visa. We hoped that his daughter would be able to get him, but she ended up stuck in the occupied territory, and to this point, she wasn't able to leave. So when my mom came here, her, for the lack of another word, let's call him my stepdad now, uh, he remained in the capital, and he's pushing 90. So when she came here, she was very worried about how he's going to be doing, and uh, some of this, she, she loves it here. She, she loves it. And it was good for her to be here, and we took care of some of her medical needs, but some we weren't able to do so just because, um, you know, different kinds of stuff within the New Mexico system of Medicaid, Medicare. But um, ultimately, when you speak no language, when you're advanced in years, you will never drive a car, you'll never learn English, you begin to feel lonely. And all of that sort of ended up with her saying, I want to go home. I can't, you know, my brother is still in Kiev. obviously. Uh, My stepdad is in Kiev. She says, I need to be there. Maybe I can help there more than I'm helping here, even though she was all, you know, fired up, packing all the stuff for the trips and, you know, helping with anything she could. So um, having her here was great. And especially knowing that she was safe was great, but... Every human being has a right to choose where your home is and a possible return there. Mm -hmm. So that's how it brought us to that decision. (laughs) Yeah. And it was, was it a difficult decision for you all? It was. Yeah. Because um, whether you want to speak it out loud or not, it could have been the last time I saw my mom when I put her on the train. Uh, we speak every few days, but I don't know when or how or how things are going to happen. She's 84. The war is going on. Um, even though she's relatively safe right now, you just never know how things mm-hmm. are going to go. Yeah. So, yeah, it was difficult, mm-hmm. but it was right. Right. Because ultimately,
2: you like you said, everybody should have the ability and the right to go home.
0: And that's what she wanted in her in her heart. Exactly. And that's what the majority of Ukrainians that are scattered around the world still want to do, which is amazing for me, because as a running joke, a lot of Ukrainians say, oh, my goodness, you know, things can go so bad in our country. We just want to immigrate, you know, somewhere, anywhere, just like anywhere in the world. But when they ended up somewhere and anywhere, the drive and the pain and the desire is to go home. They found out that they're bigger patriots that they ever imagined themselves to be. Mm-hmm. And when you first
2: brought your mom to Albuquerque last March, that ended up, as we know, not being your only trip to Ukraine. People heard about what you were doing, knew you had some connections, and they wanted to help. How many trips did you end up making to Ukraine in the last year? And what were they like, if you could give us
0: some understanding? You're right. None of those were planned. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, In total, um, we made five trips. Four of them were to Ukraine. One of them was to Germany to help out at an orphanage that uh, has been evacuated from Ukraine with the kids that lost families, language, country, trauma. It was basically to to do a trauma debrief and to help out. But four other trips were to Ukraine specifically, and, uh, all of them ended up being humanitarian missions with bringing supplies and, um, well, what those trips were like, I'm not sure how to describe a beautiful chaos, but it was a beautiful chaos. We did not realize that our call for help would turn out to be a much bigger thing that we expected. The response of people was absolutely mind blowing. Because when we first were preparing to return, we thought, well, okay, you know, we can put out an Amazon list and ask for thermals, you know, m- tourniquets, blood stopping, you know, something. But um, we were contacted by a NICU in Western Ukraine that said, We are out of everything. The amount of refugee mamas that were having premature babies was staggering. That were they were at about four or five time capacity to be able to hold people and said, we have nothing, no gloves, no masks, no anything. Can you bring anything? So we put a call out for anything and we ended up with things that were able to, I mean, we were able to bring infusion pumps. I had to learn a whole lot of new language. I had no idea what in the world the infusion pump is and how important they are and how expensive they are. So people have outfitted us with, with things to take there. We did that. When we got back, I think my trips are actually starting to mix up. But yeah. our last trip, no wait, the trip before last, the fourth trip, is what was probably the biggest one. We took 44 bags, 44 suitcases of luggage that, uh, with a total weight of about 1,600, 1,700 pounds of supplies. Yeah. Military, refugee, NICU, medical, just y- you name it. So um, my, uh, my daughter went on four of those trips with me. My son went uh, on one of them and my husband faithfully remained here and corrected every mistake that I made in ordering things Good and boy. like catching all my mistakes and helping me plan it. So yeah, it was, it was insane. Mm-hmm. A lot.
1: What do you think was the effect of bringing all those supplies
0: Chris, if I were to give you one word, I would say life-saving. That's a one-word description of the effect. Because literally, without any exaggeration, even the little amount of things that we were able to provide and bring there ended up saving lives as a result of the majority of those trips. And we're talking, again, we're talking supplies, the winter preparations, equipment for the NICU. The elderly, the funds to assist an evacuation, all of that. It is saving lives.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. I wanted to jump back to the present situation for those who are there and specifically about those family members that you have in Ukraine. What are things like for the people you know, your parents? They're, They're in Kiev, correct?
0: Yes, they are. They are after their return. After the initial bombings in March, um, Kiev rallied, and the things that they have been able to come up with were really surprised them. And let me you know, say something funny. Even the presence of what we call now resistant elevators, resistance elevators rather, it's like, you know, what's a resistance elevator? As you know, there has been a lack of electricity. Mm-hmm. So for days, for hours, sometimes 55, 52 hours at a time, some houses, some apartment buildings don't have electricity. What do you do if you, like my friends, live on the 20th floor oh, gosh. and um, you're stuck in an elevator? Yeah. So what they do now as a part of resistance elevators, they leave supplies. People leave supplies for each other. If you get stuck for hours, you have a blanket, you have snacks, you have water, you have a chair to sit on, you have other things to take care of, things that you need to take care of. Electricity, like I mentioned, is um, dependent on the district where you live. Sometimes you don't have it for 52 hours, sometimes you don't have it for six, sometimes you don't have it for three. Where my mom is, thankfully... She is on a street that's connected to a hospital branch. So she gets more electricity than the average Kiev person. I see. Uh, and she has a guest stove. So for her, it's been easier to to keep the supplies of hot water and, you know, hot food. And one of the first things that she did, actually, after returning from the States, because she was loaded with um flashlights and lanterns, she just went around her apartment building and gave out the lanterns and the flashlights because that, that's what helped. Yeah. Bomb shelters are outfitted with charging stations. People are bringing each other food. And the amazing thing is that throughout all of it, people are trying to maintain normalcy. You go outside, stores are working, businesses are open as much as they can be open, And right now, whoever has a generator is king. Sometimes you walk the street and it's just because that's the only way there's no electricity. But, you know, people try to continue supporting their businesses and their families They try to work.
1: Yeah, I I recall listening to an episode of the New York Times does the daily. They had an episode where they were describing some of that life going on amid all the circumstances. And one of the things that struck me was, was the description of a cafe that had a menu with electricity and without electricity. You know, that basically, to your point, things continue on. People are finding that way to you know, live out their normalcy as much as they can um, amid the circumstances.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they're living it. And even last time when we were there, we stepped in into a cafe, it was cold. So we just wanted something, either hot chocolate or bouillon or something. And we come in and they're like, well, sorry guys. Uh, our generator is out. There is no electricity. Nobody will complain about anything like that. You just say, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll take whatever, whatever you guys have. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's been going. Yeah. Uh. So
2: we mentioned a little bit about this, but you you still have friends and family there. A lot of people like your mom just really want to go home, right? Like even people that were staying in those refugee camps and families who were displaced. Can you share with us now a year in, what is it like for some of those families who are still displaced from their homes?
0: I'll tell you exactly what it's like, Abby. Because several days ago, I called a friend of mine who is in Western Ukraine and has been housing refugees since the beginning of the war. He's actually an American married to a Ukrainian lady, and they love. They run a small ministry that hosted, um, you know, my mom when she was there. Plus, they were given other buildings to house from the beginning of war, when it first started. Twenty-seven people lived in his house Mm -hmm. the first time we showed up it was chaos dogs cats children supplies you know people I called them about three days ago and said hey guys what are you doing and he's like well we're celebrating family day I'm like it's not a national holiday well what family (laughs) day three families still remain living with him to this day they want to go home they can't go home yet because they are from you know the tough the hot spot territories and um the way that we measure what it's like is by children we learn to count children the baby that was born in march we look at her and we go when this is over she will not remember we look at other ones you know you have a 5 year old right yabi Four, a yeah. four-year-old. We go, thank God, she would not remember. Joel's 11-year-old will always remember what it's like. But this is how we look at them. This is how we say we count war. And anywhere, my friends who are in Bali, in Austria, in Germany, in the States, this morning I talked to a family member who, oh my goodness, she's in Bali. Her only drive I want to go home. I want to go home. Mm-hmm. So what, what is family day? It's something that they made up. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. now the people who you have never met, who used to be absolute strangers, are something that you consider family. And it is what majority of things are like now for many Ukrainians and for me included. People that have become my family in the past year is people that I have never met you guys are kind of becoming family now. You <laughs> oh, show up you. one more time, we do, you know, you you know where the fridge is, go get something.
2: <laughs> yeah, she did serve us a, a very delicious tea yes. before we started the episode.
1: We know as well, you know, you, you mentioned delivering goods. Some of that is used out there in the field. Some of it is used for those civilians who are living the day-to-day lives of those who maybe are fighting this war. And what can you share with us about how those folks are doing, what you've heard from those who are fighting this war.
0: Well, as you know, Chris, um, my uh, cousin and some of my close friends are in the hell holes. One of them is returning there tomorrow. He's going to Solidar. He was out in the rotation for a couple of months. And my cousin has recently been injured by a shockwave because a Russian C-300 hit about seven meters from his trench. So all of his unit was thrown back, had a shockwave injury. He is losing his um, hearing, and the prognosis is that it's going to be a total loss. However, last time we spoke several days ago, he said, there is no way I'm going to be decommissioned. I'm going back. And the fact is that the last thing that we were able to provide for him in his unit is a drone where they're going to be able um, to... um, maintain video reconnaissance is going to be a very helpful thing for everybody. But, um, yeah, he's, so he's learning to fly drones and he keeps adopting cats because that's what Ukrainian military ends up doing. Mm -hmm. The pets, they're, you know, they're helping the bravery and the resolve that they continue fighting with puts me on my knees guys. Really? Because when you hear the stories of those who are fighting, of those who have lost their lives. We have buried people. We have buried people under the circumstances I don't want to talk about. It's there. They're doing what every one of you would have done. If somebody came to take your home, your identity, your people, you would stand up. And this is all that Ukrainians are doing right now.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I know... It's hard to imagine what's going on for families in Ukraine. We're here safe in Albuquerque in your living room. You've got two children and a husband. And for a lot of people, you know, in our day-to-day lives, it's hard to imagine like what's going on. So I just want to know, what do you want people to know about what's happening?
0: Well, you're you're right about that. Sometimes it's hard to imagine. It's still hard to imagine for myself. And especially people who have, you know, who only see it off the screen or hear about it, I would say that the pain of what's happening in your head or in your thoughts, in your being, you can't always translate it into clear communication. At least I find it difficult. But uh, the war, once it's out of the news cycle and uh, a lot of politics are beginning to take place, as you know, here and in Europe and in Ukraine. As an American, I absolutely understand with the concerns that are being raised. And I agree with a lot of them. And I'm talking about, you know, why are we spending so much money in Ukraine? Why can't we have, you know, our own people taken care of? As an American, I absolutely agree with that. But at the same time, I want people to know that As a Ukrainian who sees what's going on, you start to forget the politics. And all you see, you see the people. You see the immediate need. And specifically for the people here, I want to know that Ukrainians will never, ever forget the American support that has been provided and is being provided. And I'm not talking about only the government support. I'm talking about everyday human people. They're the ones who outfitted all of my trips. Uh, They're the ones who dressed the refugees, who sent the money for the food, who bought the equipment for the NICU. They're the ones who are now helping purchase the firewood and help build the greenhouses. That gratitude is something that we will always remember. The needs are nowhere at the end yet, but the moral and the material support that people have provided us is humbling, is unprecedented, and is priceless.
1: We know you've spoken of getting those chances to still communicate with your mom over the phone. How often again does that happen? And do you foresee that continuing or is that something that concerns you moving forward? Because we know that part of Russia's campaign has been now to target civilian infrastructure. Um, You know, as you mentioned, the electricity, you know, is that a continued concern for you that being able to still communicate with the folks that are there?
0: It is. It is. Right now we're able to talk um, whenever, basically whenever she has the internet, depends whether there is electricity, whether the satellite communication is there. And it has been so far so good, put it this way, because again, Kiev as a capital is being protected to the most of the Ukrainians' ability. We cannot have Kiev fall. So we talk and she's um, in pretty good spirits. She actually, last time she said uh, to tell everybody hello, who's asking about her, so hello. We were able to take care of some of her medical needs um, being here, uh, so she is, she's doing well. And one of her little joys is able uh, to like, chew a soft cake, put it this way, there was a lot of dental work that she had to, to do in, in Ukraine. Concern-wise, yeah, it, it never stopped. What we call this war is the February that never ends. It has not ended for us. I am not the person who can project or predict. I, I don't understand enough of politics and finances to be able to give any kind of predict, you know, prediction of what's going to happen. We do what we can You put, you know, sometimes you kind of have to shore yourself as a horse. You just see what's in front of you and you keep, keep doing what you can.
2: Mm -hmm. That kind of goes to another question I had. I mean, in all your conversations with people who are still there and is there hope for a soon end in
0: sight? That's one thing you can't kill in those Ukrainians. That's the hope. I thought, even I thought being here, even I thought so many people are going to break. They didn't. And yes, there is a hope. We have no idea where it's going to come from. We have no idea who will be on our side, who will stand with us, who will not. But the fact that they're still standing and they're still hoping and they're still fighting, it's got to go somewhere, right, guys? Mm. So, yeah, we, we want it over. We want it over yesterday. Yeah.
2: Anything else that you'd like to share that we didn't ask you about?
0: Well, I can share stories for hours. You guys will never leave here. But (laughs) what I would really want to say is I I just want to thank you guys. I, I want to say thank you to those who really help by doing something, to people who didn't just pass by, to the old guy, a World War veteran in my neighborhood who now flies a Ukrainian flag to say that I just want to show that American people care. To people who give up a coffee and send me the money for their coffee price and say, hey, it isn't much, but I wanted to help. Um, To a friend because of whom four or five trips took place without her trust and support, most things that we were able to do would not happen. To my family, especially to my husband who's there through this all and it has not been very easy for him to deal with me over the past year. To our kids to, I want to thank you guys, Chris and Gabby, because to me, the fact that you keep interest in that, that you put heart, that you want to know what really is going on, it's priceless. So, um, thank you for keeping the light on it, for helping us to remain as human as, as as we can be in the middle of this tragedy.
1: You're welcome. (laughs) We, We appreciate you sharing your story. Um, It is illuminating again to hear from somebody who has connections here and, and, you know, who's literally been there to help over the last year as well. So thank you.
2: We realized in the first meeting with Diana, just how remarkable a lot of the things that you've been able to do just as, you know, as a mom here in Albuquerque, it's, it's just, that's the only word I can come up with is remarkable how many people you have helped. So I'm sure if those people could all say thank you, I'm sure they would be also be thanking you. So thank you for your time and sharing, you know, just a conversation and, and tea with us. I yeah. appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you guys. I, I appreciate your comment, but there's only one last thing that I want to say. Sure. As much as I appreciate you saying how much I have done, how remarkable it is. I want you to know that the honor is reserved not to me but only to those who have enabled me and other people like me to do what we do. (laughs) That is the honor. They are the heroes who, you know, you people who support us and the people who are there spilling their blood and giving their lives up. To them is the honor. And God bless the United States and glory to Ukraine.
2: Okay, you might have heard um, another guest roaming around. That's Charlie, Diana's cat. We are in her living room and she's been so hospitable. We really appreciate, again, Diana Horak sharing just insight with us about what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on with her own family. Here we are a year later. It's unfortunate, you know, there is still a war going on. But thank you, Diana, again. For chatting with Chris and I.
1: Yeah, we appreciate you listening to this episode here as well. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach me at chris.mckee at krqe.com and also at Chris McKee TV on social media.
2: Yes, and you can reach me at gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening.